is A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you this is bigger than you think. Welcome in. We are live here on this Tuesday afternoon. Thank you so much for making A to Z part of your daily sports listen. A lot to get to today. Kevin Knight of the Falcoholic will join us to recap the draft. And of course, the big news of the day about Grady Jarrett. We'll get to that coming up in just a moment. Plus, some Braves grades after one month and a game last night against the New York Mets that they win. Whoa, maybe we'll let some of the panic down. We'll do all that before the end of the show today. Make sure you guys give us a follow on Twitter at LockedOnATL. I'm at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Make sure you keep up with the shows, all the great shows we have here on the Locked On Network. And certainly love to hear from you guys about Locked On Atlanta and what you guys love and everything else. All right, let's get into it today. Because the big news is, you know, it's funny because I wanted to talk about something else completely different today. But then the news of Grady Jarrett broke this morning and I kind of just had to run with it. As Grady looks like an Ian Rapport reports that he has a an extension a three-year extension totaling 51 million dollars uh that's around 17 million a year average annual value we don't know exactly how it works out and it is interesting because i i asked ian and he hasn't gotten back to me yet but i i did ask him whether it was a complete three new years or it's technically a two-year extension and they just reworked the deal this year they are going to get cap relief against the salary cap this year. That's according to Ian Rappaport, and I assume that's the reason that they did it. They still needed more money to sign all of their draft picks and uh, would love to have a little more flexibility to grab some of the names that are still out there on the street to help build up this roster. Now, that said, you know, I'm not 100% sure whether it's three new years or it's just an extension of two years on top of this one, and the three years total now is $51 million. Does it matter? Yes and no, it doesn't but it does. We'll get to that in a minute. On the grand scale, getting Grady Jarrett to take any extension here, two or three years, is really big. And if you don't think it's really big, think about this for a second. And, and the people that I talked to who were close to Grady, um, you know, had explained to me that Grady was really struggling with wanting to stay in Atlanta for non-football reasons. Obviously, he's from Georgia. His mother lives here. His foundation, his charity are here. He loves the city. He loves the state of Georgia and wants to be here. He's weighing all of that versus, do I want to play for a crap team that isn't going to win a lot of games, right? I mean, generally, all these football players want to win games, a lot of them, on a routine basis. They all want to win titles. Remember, Desmond Ritter got into it. I'm not even talking to a Super Bowl. Crazy kids. Crazy. But that said, you know, Grady was really torn because he could have gone a variety of places and put himself in a position to win a championship. I think he deserves it. He's one of the top five defensive linemen, interior defensive linemen in the NFL. After Aaron Donald, Fletcher Cox, maybe uh, Danell Hunter and a couple others, Grady's right there. There's no doubt about that. He had a down year last year, but he is certainly a top five interior defensive lineman in the NFL. And so the Falcons could have moved on from him and sort of given him a wish uh, and, and you know, said, hey, go enjoy the rest of your career somewhere else. Somebody else is going to pay you a whole ton of money because you're really, really good. I think it speaks to a couple of things. One, clearly the lines of communication between Grady, his camp, and the Falcons 
was very much open and continued to be open. That's a good thing for this regime. That's a good thing for other players in the locker room and other players around the NFL, particularly high-level star players that are of Grady Jarrett's caliber at their respective positions. It's good for them to hear, hey, Fontenot's a good dude. You know, they, they were straight up with me the whole time. The organization was legit. They handled themselves the right way. My agent had no problems. My business manager had no problems. We got everything we wanted in the deal. I, I was happy. Those are sort of things that reverb from, and, and again, Grady's got a big agent who has multiple other NFL players as agents, or as, as representatives, rather, as clients. And he will be able to echo the ease of the, which with you can work with the Falcons front office to get deals done. That helps. If there are real pains in the button, there are real screws and they make things difficult, agents are going to tell out the players, hey, this isn't going to be easy, man. We're going to work for it. We're going to, we're, we're going to try to get you as much as we can. But I'm just telling you, I've worked with these guys before. They're not, they're not easy to work with. It doesn't give the athlete the warm and fuzzy. So I think it's big that he did that. I think it's huge that he chose to stay. And even if the reasons weren't purely football, you know what he's willing to say? I'm here to be part of something bigger than just winning football games. And that means a lot to people within an organization. That means a lot to everybody who puts on that jersey that he wants to say, it's easy to go someplace else and try and win. That's the easy thing. What's up, Matt Stafford? That's the easy thing to do. Sticking around and, and fighting through a rebuild, that stuff is hard. And not many professional athletes in today's day and age are willing to sit around and do that. This is big on a lot of levels for the Falcons. I think the other thing it says, and maybe, I don't know, but I'm speculating. What I told you more than anything was that I wanted the Falcons to get a first-round pick for Grady Jarrett. Now, they could have shopped this thing around and not found any suitors. I don't know. I, I haven't heard one way or another how much they were shopping to see what they could get uh, for Grady. But... By, based off the contract that he signed and the value that he's getting paid, either the Falcons have overpaid him or that's his market value. And I would tend to think it's the latter. And if his market value is that, then he nets a first-round pick and the Falcons chose him over a future commodity. It's big. Like All of this resonates to a lot of big signals that are, that are positive signs at the beginning of a rebuild. I can't guarantee the deal's going to work out. I can't guarantee a year from now, Grady's not going to scream, trade me, trade me, trade me, I want out. I, I, there are no guarantees to any of that. But as we sit here on May 3rd, and we are, are, are going over the facts as we know them, this is big, and it helps out the organization a ton. They needed this. Again, moving on from him was easy. Getting a draft pick in return was easy. Convincing him to stay was difficult. Him choosing to stay was difficult. All those things are big deals for a team that's in a full-on rebuild. You, you don't get athletes to stay in your town and in your organization when you stink for 20 years, like the Browns, like the Bengals did until recent. So the Falcons have had very up-and-down success over the last 15 years. It's been good, a couple of bad years. Been good, a couple of bad years. Now we're in the really bad years. Getting someone to stay is a huge, huge deal, especially someone of this caliber. I think, I, I think we can't underscore how much this contract means. And if they get cap relief here, which, which they will, and at least the number that I was reading early on was around $12.8 million, more than enough to sign your, free, your, your draft class 
and add some decent quality free agents left. Maybe there is a, I don't know, Odell Beckham Jr. that they could add uh, after his you know knee rehabs later on in the year. Maybe there is a uh, another defensive player that they could add, uh, whether it's a a um, who's the guy from Chicago? Why why is my name blanking right now? I'll have to look it up. If you remember me, tweet me. Um, it's going to come to me in a second. I want to waste time doing it. But anyway, there are a bunch of other free agents out there, older free agents out there that would be looking for one-year deals that you could bring in here in the short term and let them play and try to be competitive and get another contract. So there's, there's, there's a bunch of other defensive guys out there and offensive guys out there that this team could still add, which gives you a little bit of hope that maybe they'll be a little bit more competitive than you think. Now, being more competitive than you think leads to a whole bunch of other questions about the future, but we're not going to bring those up today. It's a good day. Congrats to Grady Jarrett. Congrats to Terry Fontenot and the Atlanta Falcons for retaining one of their best. Coming up next, uh, Kevin Knight of the Falcoholic. Uh, great on their draft coverage. We'll ask him about Grady and what the Falcons did in the draft and how useful will some of these guys be. That is coming up next right here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Catch up with all the great shows here on the Locked On Network. Not only is it A to Z, Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, ATL Day Ones with Jarvis Davis and Tanitra Batiste. Of course, our Braves postcast with Grant McCauley after every single Braves game. And Locked On Falcons and Locked On Hawks with Aaron Freeman and Brad Rowan, respectively. But we will now turn our attention to our friends at the Falcoholic. Oh, by the way, I remember the name of the D-tackle I was talking about from the Bears. Akeem Hicks was the name that I was thinking of, uh, who's still a free agent out there that could be helped for the Falcons uh, on a one-year deal. But uh, with all the news of Grady Jarrett, let's welcome in from that Falcoholic to help us do the draft and the latest news on Grady Jarrett. It is Kevin Knight joining us here on A to Z. Kevin, welcome. Good to talk to you, brother, and thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Mark. Excited to uh, see your, your new show here, uh, yeah. here on Locked On. So. You, you, you and some of the poor bastards out there still listening. God bless you all. <laughs> uh, let's start with Grady Jarrett. Look, I, I said earlier it was big news, right? It's big on multiple levels. It's big on the fact that, one, he chose to stay. It's big on the fact that, you know, this is a guy that now not only, you know, wants to be here, uh, whether it's for football reasons or non-football reasons, but he's committed to the organization. It's great to see that other stars are going to hear from Todd France and from, you know, Grady that they were easy to work with and they made me want to stay. And despite the fact that we're not a great team right now, like that stuff reverberates throughout the rest of the league. And it's good signs for, for Terry Fontenot. And I think it also speaks to the fact that, you know, this is a team right now that needs players and one of them, their best one chose to stay. And so these are all positive signs. I'm not saying a year from now, he's not going to request a trade, but right now, initially, as we sit here on May 3rd, these are all positive signs for the Falcons. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Grady returning is a, is a big deal. Um, I, it wouldn't have shocked anyone if he decided like, look, I've spent, you know, the last four years on a losing team. I, I would really like to go somewhere else. Um, and I think the Falcons could have got good value for Grady in such a trade, but him wanting to stay, I think is really good and better for the team as a whole, because without Grady Jarrett, it's basically hopes and dreams. I mean, I like the guys in the draft that we're going to talk about and stuff like that, but it's, it's, it's hopes and dreams uh, everywhere else. And without Grady Jarrett, you're starting completely from scratch. And with him here, obviously adjusting to the new scheme, it wasn't his best year last year, certainly. Um, but I think he's, he can definitely play in this defense. I'm sure Dean Pease has, has sold him on the defense at this point if he's agreed to sign this extension and, and how he can get back to his extremely productive 
brand of football in the near future. But I, I think everything you said about, you know, him wanting to be here is, is a good sign. Um, I think, you know, the hope is that this is not as long a rebuild as, as we fear, you know, maybe we can start getting back closer to, to winning football next season. Um, some people think this season, that's probably a little aggressive, but um, I do, I do like the signing and, and the money, at least from what's been reported early, you know, 17 million a year for Grady Jarrett, I think is fantastic. Yeah. Um, so that, that is a really good deal. And you brought up a great point that I totally just missed before too, that remember he is sort of transitioning position wise. Like he, he could have easily found a competitive team, been in a four, three, gone back to just mauling guys and look like a superstar. Uh, that, that is also a big part. Like he's literally saying, I'm okay with not putting up the numbers I used to. I'm okay with, you know, the idea that three years down the road now, uh, when I become a free agent again, if you guys don't want me anymore, my value may be completely down because I don't have the numbers to support it because I'm not, I've been playing out of position. I, that's another part I, I totally forgot about. I think it's, it, that's a huge thing too. Yeah. I mean, I think the hope is that it's not going it, to, it's, it's a little bit different. You know, the, the three, four defensive end versus four, three defensive tackle, sure. obviously. Um, I think they're still going to get him a fair amount of reps at three tech, you know, depending on how they line up and yeah. um, you know, four I is, is different as well. Um, but I, I think, you know, especially towards the end of the season, I think you, you saw him start to get more comfortable. And I think, honestly, the production thing probably had more to do with the just total lack of supporting cast more than any sort of schematic change for him. I mean, it, it's it's really hard to get production on the interior when you don't have anything on the edge. People just, they just step out and leave the pocket and then Grady's just chasing air. So yeah. um, hopefully that will be uh, fixed this year. And like I said, you know, the, I think they did take some positive steps in the draft too. Speaking of air, uh, that's what the Falcons hope to do with Drake London, air it out, or at least to a certain extent, throw a lot of jump balls. Uh, look, I wide receiver was the one position I said, and I told it to Dave Cho to the Falcoholic that I, my puke factor was zero. I just I can't understand the the process. I don't think Drake London is a bad pick. I said repeatedly I thought he was going to be the first wide receiver taken off the board. I get why big-bodied wide receivers like him are mismatched nightmares, and having them is super important. Um, but to take pass catchers two years in a row with no offensive line to speak of, no running game, and questions at quarterback, at least for the next two to three years, it just seems like the process is out of order. It's not an indictment on Drake London as a player. It is an indictment, however, in my opinion, on the process. Yeah, I mean, that was my issue with wide receiver. I think we have similar thoughts on that is that I, I didn't like philosophically going yes. wide receiver at eight. And it doesn't really have anything to do with Drake London. I mean, he was the 10th overall player on my board. Um, you know, I would have, I was leaning, you know, Jermaine Johnson and we'll see if I'm wrong about Jermaine Johnson considering Ray ended up going in the draft. You're in the rest leaning, of America, by yeah, the way. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, Jordan Davis was someone I really liked, you know, just his upside. I know defensive tackle that early is another sort of non-traditional position. Um, and then Kyle Hamilton, I just loved as, as just an overall defensive star. Um, so those guys were all just a little bit of head ahead of Drake London for me, but again, London's my wide receiver one. He did fit the Falcons really well. He was the one I would have taken. And, you know, you see right after they take him, like five more receivers go and, you know, the next like 10 picks or something. So, yeah. you know, it, it does sort of, it, it looks slightly better in hindsight. Um, but at this point, it's just about getting the right player in here. Um, they need to get the right guy in here. Then your first round pick, you have to knock it out of the park. So if he becomes a dynamic wide receiver, one, a top 10, you know, wide receiver in the NFL, then no one's going to care in three years. But you really have to hit on that player, especially if you're going to take him 
at that sort of spot. Um, and, and maybe he can get there. I know he's a lot of guys that are more wide receiver gurus than me, you know, see him as, as the next Mike Evans, you know, and that sort of thing. And time will tell, time will tell. But as long as he's a good player, I'm not going to be too upset about it. Just draft good players. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is that simple, right? Uh, it's it's Belichickian, if you will. Just draft good players and everything seems to work out fine. That said, I think Arnold Ebicati is a good player, but I think ultimately in two years, we are going to measure what is Jermaine Johnson versus what is Arnold Ebicati or anybody else for that matter, George Karloftis, whoever it may be that was all taken between, you know, when they took Ebicati as their first pass rusher and what they had available to them at eight overall. And unfortunately that's the context we're going to put it in. That's not always fair, but when we start to revisit drafts, that's ultimately what everybody does. This guy was available. You passed on him for this. You got this hand and they got the other hand and the other hand was better than what you got. Right. Exactly. And it'll be sort of, you know, is Jermaine Johnson and, you know, George Pickens, for example, is that duo better than Drake London and Arnold Ebicchetti? And And we won't know probably for two or three years, you know, definitely, which one is a better choice? I mean, I think you could certainly make the case for Drake London being the best receiver in this class, and maybe he will be. And then at that point, all Ebicady needs to be is sort of on on par with these other edge guys uh, in the first round. You know, obviously, I I like Jermaine Johnson better, but I think Ebicady is a good, really good player. I mean, he was uh, certainly someone I had as a high second rounder on my draft board in terms of grade. Um, someone I, I scouted fully and watched the senior bowl and I just really like his game. I mean, anyone who comes from a, a lower level of competition at te- like he was at temple and then goes to a higher level Penn state and then has his best season. I think that means a lot. Like this is a guy that jumped up in competition and then had his best season ever. They played him all over the defensive line in his first year with the program. I mean, this is clearly a really smart player, someone who's still learning, you know, pass rush t- technique and stuff like that, but a terrific athlete, speed, uh, elite bender, um, definitely fits the profile. And we'll see it with their other edge guy they take. They're, they're going now for these speedy, uh, explosive, bendy outside rushers for this three, four now, as opposed to the yeah. bigger, you know, stronger guys from the fourth. Are, are they going to have yeah. him standing up the whole time or yeah. are they going to put his hand in the dirt? He could put his hand in the dirt. He did it a lot at Penn state. I, I think he's best as a stand up guy. Um, I think his, his thing is that like, he's never really going to be this guy that's going to push back offensive tackles in the run game. He can hold his own. Um, and he's really good as a, a backside pursuit penetration style player. He had like 18 and a half speed, tackles yeah. for loss or something. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he will be elite from at, from the backside and he can he can certainly hold his own against the run. He's never going to be this like behemoth of a five tech that's going to push back, you know, offensive tackles in the run game. That's not his style, but let's be honest. We had 18 sacks. We need the pass rushers more than we need the run defenders and we got, you know, Ogandeji, who's a bigger sort of guy to play that role on base downs. We needed the the pass rusher more. Uh, we also need guys in the middle. Uh it's bare. You know, Foyer's gone. Dion is at least on a downward slope the last 2 years. I don't know how other how other kindly way I can put it other than just saying he's played like dog crap. Um, so I'll be kind about it. Say he's on the downward slope, could turn it around, maybe get the first two years of Dion back again. Who knows? But that said, you know, I, listen, I, I know you love the draft, but how much Montana State football did you watch? I actually watched Troy Anderson. Uh, shout out to Bozeman, by the way, which is where Montana State is. I love Bozeman. Um, I, I go out to <laughs> Big Duttons, Sky think, a lot. Right? Yeah, yeah you, you're, you're in the Duttons from Yellowstone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I ski at Big Sky every year. So I love Bozeman. I actually familiar with Montana State a little bit. Um, there's not a lot of tape on him out there, but what you can see is that look, this guy, his story is really cool. 
zero star recruit out of high school comes in to play running back their quarterback gets hurt he plays quarterback is all conference quarterback then they're like okay next year can you play running back again sure all conference running back then the next year they're like you know what how about you play linebacker sure you know then this year he's all conference linebacker so i think defensive player of the year for the conference and this is a guy who's played linebacker for two years total um so the instincts aren't fully there the tackling technique is lacking um you know all of the stuff about playing defense, it's coming to him. Like, we're, we're getting there with, with that. But in terms of athleticism, he's a perfect 10. Um, 10.0 RAS, which means best ever tested at his position. 4.4240 yard dash, uh, which is faster than Kyle Pitts, by the way. Just slightly, but it is faster. Um, and his his agility drills are absurd, like a 6.773 cone or something like that. Like, in terms of athleticism, there's nothing he can't do. Like, he, this is going to be one of the most athletic linebackers, if not the most, from day one. Um, so, he just needs to, to get the rest of the position down. I think, you know, he can play sub-packages early, uh, passing down stuff. Like, put him in man coverage and just say, go chase this guy. Um, you know, he can do that. Uh, he's really athletic and in man coverage, you know, a lot of it is, can you keep up with the guy? And he can, he can cover tight ends. He's got the size six, three, two forty five. Um, you know, I think in terms of zone coverage, he needs to work on his instincts in terms of the tackling. Obviously that's, that's a work in progress overall reading and reacting. You know, he's so fast. He has more of a, a cushion to read and react because of how quickly he can recover. Um, I think, it's not going to be a huge defensive role for him this year unless he really hits the ground running. I think towards the back half of the season, we're going to see him starting potentially. But special teams, he's going to be a demon. He might be the, the best special teams player in the NFL this year. Um, that's how athletic and, and dynamic he is. And we know that he's a quick learner. He's played three positions in college in four years and was all conference at like every single one. So this is a guy that is going to learn these positions. He's going to come hit the ground running quick, but how quick? I mean, the NFL is a different beast. So who knows? Never hurts to have smart kids, as they say, right? Uh, <laughs> yes. Before, we're going to skip over Desmond Ritter. We'll get to him in a minute. But the uh, Tyler Algier out of, uh, out of BYU, I saw a comparison to James Conner for him, um, which – if I get the James Conner in Pittsburgh, yeah. If I get the James Conner for like a four-game stretch last year in Arizona, yeah. Um, that's not a bad comparison. But obviously, this is a kid from day one who in week one is going to be seeing reps uh, and getting snaps in the backfield. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to pull up Conner's RAS real quick. Because, yeah, I mean, in terms of size, Conner's a little bit bigger. Um, Conner is taller, uh, like six one and a half. You know, Algiers a little bit more compact, which I actually think is a good thing for running backs, to be honest. Um, you know, a little bit lighter, you know, 224, but that's still plenty of, of weight there. But the thing about um, Algier that I really liked is his uh, his explosiveness is really good. Like his long speed, not necessarily special, you know, 4.6, which is slightly above average for NFL running backs, but it's not breakaway burning speed. But, you know, 10 foot broad jump, really explosive uh one five six ten yard split again that short area quickness that burst is what he's got um and i think he's gonna need because the holes aren't gonna yeah. be that big and well, that yeah. long, so you better get through them quick <laughs> exactly and so with algier his thing in college from what i've heard from people i trust um when he when the blocking was there this is maybe the most dangerous running back in college football in terms of production like he just takes off for 10, 15 yard chunks. Every time he gets any sort of space in front of him, he, he does read the hole. Well, he's really explosive. Um, 23 touchdowns in college, like a red zone monster. When the blocking wasn't there, he was pretty average, but you know, I think you could say that about a lot of 
running backs at this point. Yeah. Um, so the Falcons are banking on the, the run blocking getting better with this pick. But I think if they can get it to a, an average to above average place, this is a guy that's going to be a, a possible dynamic threat on early downs. And that's what they sort of need with, you know, Cordero Patterson probably taking the high leverage carries, you know, third downs and Damian Williams, a good sort of like lightning to the thunder. But yeah, uh, I like the pick. It's just the run blocking has to get better. Or he's not going to be maximized. All right, Desmond Ritter, final thought here. Uh, and I said this yesterday, and I'll continue to say it until the season starts, and I'll say it by week eight if I don't see this plan set in motion. They have one goal with Desmond Ritter this year, absolutely one, and they have to have an answer by the time the season ends, and that's can the kid play, period, which means he needs to see live game reps. He needs to see multiple live game reps and start, and he has to be able to play in leverage situations to find out if he can play. Again, they threw Joe Burrow to the Wolves with no offensive line and subpar talent. The Cincinnati Bengals lost games, but he made them competitive, right? And that's the big thing. Can he make this team competitive? Can he play? You can see that Burrow could play. That's the only job that they have. I don't care what the situation is. And barring them starting out 7-1, and one, he should be on the field. Like That's just what it boils down to. And if they don't do that, they're derelict because of what – you need to understand is that if this guy can't play, guess what? Next year, you got to get another one. Yeah. And that's the thing about the third round pick too, is that it sort of takes the pressure off of Ritter. In fact, it probably gives him positive pressure in that he's got the chip on his shoulder now, instead of feeling like he has to, he has to like justify his pick. Now he's like, I got to prove everyone wrong. I think that's much better for him overall, his long-term projection. But, um, yeah, exactly what you said. Like, I think either we're going to know that Marcus Mariota is our quarterback because we're like 7-1 and one and rolling, or we're going to get a chance to see Ritter. And I, I think we're going to see multiple games of Ritter at least. And um, I don't think it's out of the question that Ritter wins a quarterback competition. I think it's unlikely just because I, I don't think Mar Mariota is a bad quarterback. Mariota's thing has always been durability. And this offensive line is not good. Uh, still, uh, hopefully it'll be better, but, um, if you're going to have Mariota's, an offensive line, stinks, yeah. have a quarterback that can run and Ritter can run. Yeah. Yes. So, so there is that. Yeah. So I, I think we're going to see Ritter sooner rather than later. I, I would be surprised if we haven't seen them at all by mid season. Um, but I think once at the very least, once they're eliminated from the playoffs, we'll see him for three or four games at minimum. Um, and like you said, we just need to know. Um, but I, I think, I think Ritter will, will be a, a, a fringe starting quarterback this year. Like he'll, he'll sort of, I don't know that he'll be like overly impressive, but we'll see. Um, but I, I think of, of quarterbacks that you usually get in the third round, I think he's got a much better shot than most guys that you get that late I mean, to, to make it. So, and, and here's the comparison I'll come up with here and we got to finish up, but you know, Jalen hurts was drafted in the second round by all accounts. Nobody really thought he was a second round quarterback. A lot of people had him with a third round grade and it's the exact opposite for Desmond Ritter. People thought he might've been a first round quarterback, most likely a second gets drafted in the third regardless, the calls are going to come early and often for him to play, and those calls are accurate. If the Falcons aren't going to play him this year, I, I, again, it's an indictment to me on the process because I just don't understand what they're hoping to achieve. they got to figure out if this kid can play in 2022. Yeah, yeah. So either Mariota's a home run hit, and we're going to be starting Mariota for the next few years because right. he's, he's awesome, or, <laughs> yeah, or we're going to see Ritter sooner rather than later. So um, I'll let you decide which one you think is more. Right. <laughs> All right. Make sure you guys give him a follow at the Fal – I'm sorry, at Falcoholic Kevin, uh, part of the Falcoholic staff. Great work from all those guys there. Kevin, appreciate the time. Thanks, man. Enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you. All right. We'll be back, and we'll hopefully have assuaged some of the panic 
of Atlanta Braves fans. That's next right here on ADZ on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back. It's A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube, wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Appreciate you guys spending your Tuesday with me. Thank you so much for making Locked On Sports Atlanta part of your daily listen and A to Z. All right, wrapping things up here with the Atlanta Braves. We got a win last night against the New York Mets. Oh, my. Maybe we'll stop panicking. I doubt it. Uh, nonetheless, it was a it was a good win. Uh, Max Fried got the win, so apparently stalling him one day from the Texas Rangers series uh, to bring him forward in this game, you know, uh, netted the exact same result, which would have been if he would pitch against the Rangers in one, they'd be five games out as opposed to pitch against the Mets and winning when they're now five games out. Anyway, uh, I digress. You know, it's interesting. I kept talking yesterday a little bit about the uh, what felt like panic moves or what just felt like desperation moves. Oh, by the way, this one sort of flew under the radar. Remember how the Braves said that Ronald Acuna wasn't going to play on travel days, meaning he wasn't going to play the game after they travel, which was they traveled from Texas to New York to play against the Mets, and that's a travel day for it, and Ronald Acuna wasn't supposed to but Oh, but he did. Not saying they're panicking. Look, nothing they've said about Ronald Acuna has stuck, right? At this point, supposed to be here May 6th, uh, way before then, you know, not playing every single day, been playing a lot, not playing on travel days, already played, whatever. And again, I keep making fun of all this because I feel like we are overemphasizing way too much about what is going on early on. And uh, so much so that uh, there are there are grades out for the first month of of the Major League Baseball season. You guys, you know, everyone loves grades, right? And you know, everyone loves to loves to be scored on what they're doing. So David Schoenfeld of ESPN uh, gave everybody grades, uh, and he gave the Braves a C minus through the first month. Uh, their playoff odds down is thirteen point eight percent now down to seventy one point eight percent. So what would that would that make them at that eighty five point six percent was where they were to make the postseason at the start, now down to uh, uh, 71%. Oh, my God. And he says, it's been a sluggish start, as often happens with the reigning World Series champion. Ron Lacuna Jr.'s return uh, quicker than expected from ACL surgery could start jumpstart the team in May. Best storyline he has is Kyle Wright, uh, transformation to a potential top of the rotation starter. Looks like a huge bonus compared to preseason expectations. So uh, he's been great this year. One one three ERA, 34 Ks, 24 innings, just six walks. Really good. And uh, a mulligan, a do-over. Eddie Rosario started three for 44 with an RBI under an eye surgery to help fix some blurry vision, and uh, now he's going to be out past the All-Star break. So that was his C-minus grade. Guys, what does this mean? Absolutely nothing. That's all I can tell you. It doesn't mean a darn thing. It really, really doesn't. Uh, th this is a team that is going to be there at the end. I can't continue to say this enough every day, but I will continue to say it if it makes Braves fans feel better. Because if you watch the reaction of Braves fans during a Braves game on Twitter, which, of course, is where you always go for real-life, you know, no BS, accurate assession, uh, assessments is on Twitter, right? That's exactly where you go for all that. That's why I go there. Um, you, would think so, you would think this was a September falter, that the Braves are in the midst of blowing an eight-game lead in the last two weeks of the season. You know, like that's the way people are reacting. Guys, bats always start out slow. Not every team is going to hit. Great at the beginning of the year. And more often than not, teams that start out hot, guess what happens by the time the middle of June rolls around? They're back to normal or below where they should be. To quote John Sterling, voice of the Yankees, that's just baseball. I mean, that's just the way the game goes over a course of 162 games. Everybody needs to relax. 
Um, what the Braves aren't doing is relaxing with Ronald Acuna at this point, because as I just mentioned, you know, they've kind of played everything by ear. And I get that there's a certain sense of, you know, fluidity to all this with Ronald Acuna. But I would also tell you that, like, you know, you could have just said that from the beginning, that we're going to take everything on a day-to-day approach. You know, and maybe they did. Maybe I just didn't hear it right. I guess if you read between the, the, the lines, that's what they said. You know, but so much of it has been, they'll be here May 6th. Whoop, nope, coming up early. And so it's, it's well, he's not doing travel days. Whoop, playing on the first travel day. I mean, like, it's one of those things where it's just weird. Um, you know, maybe they were just indicating, hey, we'll take it day by day. But these are sort of some of the guidelines we want to stick to, right? Like, they're saying that he's not going to be playing every day until he's a year removed from his surgery, which would be July. Um, that, to me, seems like BS. Uh, if he is healthy enough to play and he's hitting and he's contributing, he's going to play pretty much every day. He'll get his normal off days. You know, that's it, no doubt about it. But every player is going to get normal off days. So uh, I would tell people that however they handle Ronald, I'll trust their their judgment on it. I mean, at this point, you have no other choice to. If Ronald says he's good enough to go, they're going to let him play as much as they can. Of course, again, they'll force him to sit down certain days or DH certain days or whatever. But, you know, Acuna is going to be in that lineup because he's a big part of why this lineup is successful. Um, and one of the things that's been interesting to see, because they've struggled this year offensively, uh, 21st in Major League Baseball and team batting average, uh, 10th and on base percentage plus slugging OPS, you know, the good old OPS stuff. Uh, the Braves are 23rd in the majors with a 215 average with runners in scoring position, 25th in the sport with 52 RBIs with men in scoring position. Those numbers have to change. Now, the first reflex reaction I had when I read those things was, oh, they miss Freddie. Oh, they miss Freddie. Freddie would have those numbers up a little bit higher. And maybe he would. Matt Olson hasn't been bad. It, it's way too early to decide whether Freddie is is a big reason why they're struggling and why they're not. But all that aside, you know, this is really a Braves team that's going to have uh, a big push at some point coming up during the summer. Once Acuna starts really getting in position and feeling good every single day, then it's it's absolutely going to work out for them and the offense will come around. And once that happens, they're going to be fine. One final note on the Braves, a uh, huge Hank Aaron week coming up. They just released this today, 1974 throwback jerseys. Uh, and other various events. Now, it's it's purely coincidental, but Hank Aaron Week coincides, uh, which the Braves celebrate annually, coincides with the only visit from the Milwaukee Brewers to Truist Park this year. So the city that Hank Aaron started his career in and ended his career in, uh, Milwaukee, is, is going to be part of the whole celebration with him. So, again, they're going to put on those 1974 jerseys, which are so sweet. Those things are fantastic. Uh, so Hank Aaron Week coming up uh, here, and look for all the great events that the Braves have going on at Truist Park and beyond. It certainly is going to be a uh, uh, a, a big, big weekend uh, and a big week capped off by the 1974 throwback jerseys. So stay tuned for all that. All right, make sure you guys give me a follow on Twitter at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Love to interact with you guys. Love to hear from you uh, and all of your thoughts on this show. Make sure you follow me. Follow Locked On Sports Atlanta at Locked On ATL. Thanks for making A to Z your first listen every day. For your second listen, make sure you listen to his Hitting Hard with John Chuckery right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. The Atlanta sports talker, John Chuckery, giving you all the hottest takes in Atlanta sports every single day. And you can get it right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast search, Locked On Sports Atlanta. You guys have a wonderful Tuesday. 
Don't take any crap from anybody. See ya.